Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. If you have been here for the last few weeks, then you know that we have been working through the Christmas story already through the different perspectives of the gospel writers. We started off with Matthew, and we talked about the lineage and who was in it and the kingship and what Matthew was trying to establish and to say he's writing to the Jews. And so he is trying to prove this is Jesus, the rightful heir to the throne from the line of David, and he just maps it out for you. We got to Mark and we talked about how Mark's gospel was kind of this political Christmas, how Mark kind of went in to hijack the whole thing that was going on, the whole culture, and to say, uh, maybe, maybe we can talk about a manger, maybe we can talk about sheep and angels, but Mark's gospel was trying to get to the point of saying, but I can tell you who the real king is, and it's not Caesar. And Mark's gospel begins with this whole pledge that says, let me tell you about the real beginning of the real gospel of the real king. This morning, we are talking about probably the most commonly thought of Christmas narrative in, in the scriptures. Uh, and that is from Luke's vantage point. The Gospel of Luke has every single thing we need to make a Thomas Kincaid Christmas postcard. It is almost perfect. Missing a couple of elements, but it will basically get the point across. We get in Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke. In Luke's Gospel, we get an inn. We get a stable or a cave. We get angels and shepherds and sheep. And then we get some of our favorite lines, swaddling clothes, swaddling cloths, and manger. And Luke just paints this beautiful picture, which if you've been here before as we've gone through the book of Luke, I'm kind of a fanatic about the way Luke writes because Luke incorporates so much visual. Probably the majority of the stories you know from the New Testament, you probably know from Luke's gospel because he's so vivid of a writer and it goes to serve that for Christmas he paints a beautiful picture of Christmas. Luke also does something very very strange. He does not give us any wise men. He does give us the manger but he does not give us any wise men. He does give us our baby. Maybe you remember this. If you, have, if you have kids, maybe you remember this. As soon as the baby is born, there's this thing that happens where mom and dad, once they get away from everybody else, they begin to examine the baby. Ears, nose, fingers, toes. I mean, you will put things in your mouth that is on a baby You know, like you'll put baby's toes in your mouth, their fingers, you'll, I mean, you'll touch them, you'll smell them, you'll just, they're so much, and you just inspect these little bitty beings. And then you do this, if 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 you're sitting there and you begin to say, that's you, these belong to you, this nose belongs to you, he has your smile, he has your eyes. And we begin to attribute these different things to each other. This is this really cool thing we get to do. And the reason we do this is because a baby is a Rubik's Cube. 
You got no idea what to do with it. It's a mystery. And all you can do is begin to piece by piece try to unravel this mystery that's before you. And you look at it and you examine it and you watch it and then they get older and then they do something and you look at them and you go, that's definitely yours. That's your kid right there. That attitude, that whole thing. You. That's you. Acting just like you. Doors are slamming. Kids are crying. Like, that's you. That's so. We begin to attribute these personality characteristics to one another. Oh, that's me. Oh, I see it in my kids. Sometimes I see it in my kids. And I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. But there's times that I, there's times that I look at them and I'm like, Oh, dear. But they have no idea what they're up against. You know, they, they're, just, they're just like me. And it's going to hurt. You know, they're going to, it's so much to learn. They talk way too much. You know, that's not their mother. That's me. You know, like, this is sad. Like, this is going to be, we begin to pick up these characteristics and we begin to point and say, this is you, this is you, this is you, this is you. What's interesting about the Gospel of Luke is that everybody in the world knows about this baby before he's even born. They know things about Jesus that Jesus, Jesus ain't even showed up yet. No one's even seen him or met him. And there's these people coming out of the woodwork like, I know who he is. I know who he is. It's really kind of, it's really kind of neat. Matthew doesn't give us these two characters, but Luke does. Luke gives us these two characters. Jesus is eight days old. Goes to the temple for the normal purification. They go into the temple and there's a man that meets them there. The first man's name is Simeon. Simeon is an old man. He's a devout man. He's a righteous man. I think he's a priest. It doesn't say so in the scripture, but I think that's what he is because of everything he does inside of this story. It seems like he's doing a priestly duty as I understand the priestly duties. He's doing this thing and he pronounces a blessing on the child. But here's what's interesting. It says that he is an old man, righteous and devout, and he is waiting for, check this line out. This is such a cool line. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And everybody's like, oh, that sounds important. I don't know what it is, but it sure sounds important. The consolation of Israel. That's kind of like when you hear old men say old men things. And you kind of get to overhear this old man who says, I've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation? I don't remember hearing anybody else ever say anything about the consolation of Israel. And this old man is waiting on the consolation of Israel. You see, when he was a young man, he and God struck up a deal. Not a deal like, hey, God, let's make a deal. But like God told him something. You will not die until you see the consolation of Israel. Oh, really? The consolation of Israel? You know what the word is? The comfort. The okayness. Is Israel going to be okay? It's been occupied by Rome for quite a while now. And now he is an old man, and he must be thinking to himself, maybe I heard God wrong. Have you ever been there? Like you thought you heard God say a thing, and then it didn't happen in your time frame like you'd hoped, and you were like, I think God must have missed that one, or I missed that one. Well, and he just held on to faith, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And then God came to him on this morning. 
the eighth day. And here comes this young woman and this young man into the temple. And they've got this little baby. And he can see that they obviously need somebody to perform the purification act, to go through the priestly rites. And he goes over and he offers his services. They accept, yes, this is what we need to do. And then suddenly it strikes him. God whispers in his ear. It says he was a righteous man and devout man and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And as he's got this little baby in his hands, he looks. Suddenly he realizes it wasn't the consolation of Israel that he was going to see. It's the consolation of Israel that he was going to see. See, that's the jacked up thing about messing with God sometimes is God will tell you a thing and you think you understand it. And then later on you're like, oh, I'm going to let you see the consolation of Israel. Oh, I will get to see when the, the right king gets to get on the throne and then everything gets established. Then we get a normal tax system and it's not like 90% tax and Rome's not here and the streets aren't full of uh, Roman soldiers and God's kind of like, no. No, 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 that's not what I mean. What I mean is I will introduce you to the man who is the consolation of Israel. Ah. Oh. And Simeon's got this little baby in his hands and he realizes this is the consolation. This is why Israel will be okay. This is so much better than Roman soldiers out of the streets. This is the baby who will make it all better. I got to see the Messiah. God held true to his word. Simeon got to see this. This is really cool. There's this word. It says he was waiting. You know what this word is? It's a Christmas word. It's the words that your kids use the night before Christmas. It's today's word. Waiting expectantly. I can't go to sleep. I can't go to sleep. How can I go to sleep? I can barely go to sleep. Why? Because when I wake up in the morning, oh my goodness, there's going to be presents everywhere waiting expectantly this is an old man who has been waiting expectantly for christmas morning for quite a while he just wants to see the consolation of israel you know what else i love about that is that it's a very very unselfish thing for him to be thinking about i want to see israel be okay he's serving in the priesthood he's serving in the temple and he thinks to himself i just want to see god's people be okay Instead of showing him all of God's people in a state of okayness, he says, let me show you who will make them all okay. This is the consolation of Israel, Jesus. This other word, consolation, means comfort, which is interesting because another word for the Holy Spirit is the comforter. It's the same word. He's waiting on the peace of Israel, the peace for Israel. The paraclete, the parakleos of Israel. We meet a second character immediately following. Luke chapter 2, 36 and 37 says this. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. 
Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Who are these old grandmas and grandpas hanging around the temple waiting on a baby they've never even met? Even God didn't forget them. It's interesting, it sure gives us a lot of detail about this woman. Anna is her name. We never see her again in scripture. It's just these couple of verses right here. Anna, she was a prophetess. She worshiped day and night. She got married when she was young, maybe 14. She lived with her husband seven years, then he died, and then she has been a widow ever since then. Now, now she's old. What's it say? 84? Now she's 84. She has lived single for quite a while. You know what's interesting, and I don't, I don't go too far with this, but you know what's interesting about this? Is that it gives us kind of some strange detail about this gal. And you know numbers kind of mean things. Right? And she was married seven years. Oh, well, that's a nice pretty number. And then 84 years. Which, 84 divided by 7 is 12. And then everybody's like, well, that's kind of, is that important? I don't know. Seems kind of important to me. I'm not going to run too far with it. But if I were Jewish, I probably would. It's a lot of detail. You know what else is interesting? Is that it does not tell you who her husband was, but it tells you who her father was. We talk a lot about the fact that she's a widow, but we don't ever talk about the guy. We just like, and he died, and you should meet her dad. What? His name was Fanuel. Is that important? I don't know. His name means face of God. And it seems like Luke is going to book in this woman's life with the face of God. When she was born as a baby, she opened up her eyes and she looked into her father's face and her father was Phanuel, the face of God. And now on her way out, she is sitting here holding a baby in the temple and she's looking into what? Hmm. Kind of moving, you know? Kind of moving. Like that was special. You know what else is interesting? Is that her name is Anna. You know what that means? Favor. Well, apparently so. Favor. God's favor is upon you. It means grace. And God drew near and said, you know what? You know face of God. But let me introduce you to the face of God. And Luke offers us something that nobody else offers us. Luke incorporates more songs in his Christmas story than anybody else. He gives us songs everywhere. It's kind of a musical, you know? Like if it were a movie, Hugh Jackman would be in it because Hugh Jackman likes movies with songs in them, you know? This is just kind of what he does. He likes to get in musical movies. And Luke's, it's kind of a musical. I mean, if you take a look at it, here's what it comes down to. Luke's got a, uh, in the beginning, in chapter 1, Mary has a song. It's called the Magnificat. And she talks about how blessed she is. 
Later on, Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, when his voice is finally broke free and he gets to speak, he sings a song called the Benedictus. The angels show up in the fields where the shepherds are, and you know what they do? Everybody's singing a song. And then we see Simeon, and he's in the temple, and he's singing a song. But there's another song. Now, you've got to forgive my twisted mind. The name of this sermon is Divine Irony. Divine Irony. Just the weird things that if you just dive into it just a little bit further, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? What's the significance of this? And you begin to look just a little further. You begin to see some divine irony. And I read through and I hear all of Luke's songs and I think, maybe there's another song. I'm hearing another song. It's a pithy little tune, but it's a song. Some other kind of strange things that happen. For instance, Luke chapter 1. Verse 5 through 21 talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth. These are the mother and father of John the Baptist. This is in chapter 1. Luke opens up with a story about the priest, uh, Zechariah. And here's what it says. He was an old man, and she was an old woman, and she was barren, and she was from the line of priests. Her family was, and he was from the line of priests. You know what that kind of means? You know what that kind of looks like if you're, if you're in first century Judaism and first century Judea at this point? You know what that looks like? What did you do wrong? You're, you come from a line of priests on this side and a line of priests on this side, but you can't have kids? What did you do? Why is God mad at you? And imagine living with that thing. Some of you do, don't you? You live with that thing that God is mad at me. God is still mad at me. God is always mad at me. Can I tell you something? Um, like he's not mad. Like he's done being mad. He's loving. He's hopeful. But he's not mad. He's not mad at you. He's not looking at you saying, you know what? You do that again. I'm crushing you. Crushing you. First century Judea, this is the way it was seen. So imagine, this guy's a priest, and everybody kind of looks at him like, he really has no credibility. Why? I mean, the thing that shows that God favors your life is, you know, being able to procreate. And she comes from this line, you come from this line. And I can kind of tell you that I think in a situation like that, something kind of strange happens. There's this weird, weird deal. It says that, He's in the temple and he's serving and an angel appears in the temple and the angel says, do not be afraid. Let me read this to you. Luke chapter one, verse 11. Let me back up to verse eight. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, to be chosen by Lot, that was kind of how they figured out what God was doing and how God was going to do things, who God wanted there. It was kind of a throw of the dice, a pull of the straws. It was, uh, was kind of this kind of deal, okay? So by Lot, this means that was their understanding. God has spoken. God chose you. Ah, well, that's interesting. And so he goes into the temple. According to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. Verse 10. And when the time for the burning of incense came, 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped by fear. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. I need you to hold on to this little piece. God has heard your prayer. Your wife will be with child. Let me just back this up so we can be very logical. What do you think he was praying for all these years? A kid. But... All of you took health class. It requires more than just praying. I mean, unless you're married, of course. So both Zechariah and Elizabeth are engaged in prayer for a child. With me? Let's go on. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will, will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people for the Lord. And Zechariah said, How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? Do you know when I grow very disappointed in me as an individual? When I think to myself, part of my responsibility within the church is to lead, but yet I look at my own life and my own thoughts and I think, uh, there's got to be somebody more qualified. There's got to be somebody with better leadership skills and organization than me. begin to get in this place of like just kind of beat yourself up Zechariah is a priest a priest his job and responsibility is to project the life of Christ the life of God how to live and breathe and, uh, and understand Torah the sacrificial system to go out onto the people and to inspire in them righteousness and he looks at this angel and goes how can I be sure have you been praying about it? Well, yeah, I've been praying about it. Yet you had no faith it would happen? <sighs> no, if you see my wife, she's like 100. <laughs> we would like a son, but she's 100. I'm just doing the right thing. You know what this is called? Going through the motions. He wakes up in the morning. Dear God, give us children. <laughs> Everybody knows that's not happening. I'm 89 years old. She's 87, it's not happening. No one's having babies. The angel looks at him and says, you're gonna have a baby. And he's like, how can I be so sure of this? A priest with no faith. It's beautiful, isn't it? Merry Christmas. A priest with no faith. A woman who is barren but she's not. Divine irony. There's another one here. Let me, let, me, let me throw it out to you. Joseph, direct descendant of King David. 
direct lineage of King David. If anybody is supposed to be on the throne, if anybody is supposed to be ruling, it might be Joseph. He's the direct descendant. And then the king of Rome, the emperor, Caesar, calls that everybody report to their hometown. So Joseph does what he's supposed to do. He is in the direct line, the direct lineage of King David, being told what to do by the emperor of Rome. So he takes off. He goes to Bethlehem, his hometown, the hometown of David, family reunions. This is, he knows the place. And he heads there. Only he doesn't make it to the registration point. His whole situation gets interrupted. He never even makes it to the census to go get his name registered. Do you know why? Because he was busy facilitating the birth of another king. Wow. That's kind of strange. David misses the whole census thing because he's in a barn with his fiance, and she's having a baby who is going to be the king of kings. Divine irony? think so divine irony Luke chapter 2 starting verse 8 and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were what's the word terrified If I remember right, the Greek word is phobia. Phobia. Yeah, I've got angelophobia. Oh, you do? Yes, anytime I see like a Christmas program or anything, like <gasps> aluminum foil wings in those little hanger with the. But the angel does what the angels do they terrify everybody around them, and the first thing out of their mouth is what? Don't be afraid. It's beautiful. Boom! Sorry. You know, like that's it. It's just this really strange story and that they are terrified. But did you notice it says angel, angel. Do you know what the word is? Messenger, divine messenger. Somebody from heaven who shows up with a message. And there was glory and the shining and this radiating uh, light that came off of them. Yes, there was this and they were terrified. But that's not even the scary part, really. What happens next is, do not, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. That is Messiah, anointed King, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> then, then, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Okay, the shepherds were terrified when they saw an angel, but you know what the next one is? Heavenly host, that doesn't say angels. You know what it says? Divine army. A multitude of divine warriors from heaven. The clouds are torn back and there's this one little messenger and, they were, and all the shepherds were just terrified. And then like there's these guys with real swords locked into their angelic scabbards 
standing there, and they're like, so, let us tell you more. And the shepherds, it doesn't even say they're terrified. It doesn't say one word, because they all passed out. <laughs> that one guy scared me with the messenger, and then they're like, ah, like, I'm gone. When they woke up, it should say, terrified, but it does not say one thing when they saw the angel, the army of God before them. An army. Do you know what that should mean? Have you ever thought shepherds were these kind of people who they were unqualified to testify in court and they were too unclean to go to the temple? You want to talk about a marginalized group of people, a people hated and despised? Shepherds. The testimony of a shepherd would not even be considered in court. What is your occupation, sir? I'm a shepherd. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I don't care what you saw. It's not real. They couldn't go to the temple because they were unclean all the time. And then God shows up there. Why would this marginalized group of people who's just trying to, they are living in the fields. Why would they then run into town, go door to door, bang on the doors and tell everybody, do you want to know about the new king? Have you ever wondered, like, what would inspire them to go do that? You know what I think it is? Listen, I don't know what Rome has as far as an army, but it's not going to be what I just saw. You think I'm scared of what Rome can do? I'll go door to door because I just saw what's up there. If it comes down here, you're in trouble. It's beautiful. And they go door to door and they tell everybody about this baby that's being born. Divine irony. also love that that everywhere they go angels when they show up everybody's scared and the first thing they say is oh don't be scared like god couldn't you i imagine like a conversation could you do something to where maybe we're not so scary no i want everybody to be scared when they meet you i want them to understand like okay all right we'll be scary when we get there you know and i don't know what about it that makes him scary i don't know i've never seen an angel i don't know what makes it scary but it's always scary and their words are always do not be afraid You've got the army of heaven and their battle cry is do not be afraid. Why would you fear God? Why would you worry about God? I don't mean don't fear God in the sense of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean fear the Lord as in, oh, I don't know, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't talk to him. He's probably still mad. I mean that kind of fear. His army's battle cry is do not be afraid. It's ironic to me. Do you hear the song yet? Let me take you back. <clears throat> Flannel shirts are cool. Everybody's wearing CK1. It's 1995. The album is called Jagged Little Pill. Do you hear? The artist is Alanis Morissette. Mm. Isn't it? It is, isn't it? And she is not only correct when she says, it's ironic. In fact, let's review. Old man, 98, lottery, dies the next day, all right? Black fly in your Chardonnay, ironic. 
death row pardon two minutes too late. Oh, by far the most irritating. No smoking sign on your cigarette break. 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. I would like to check the accuracy of Alanis Morissette's silverware drawer. 10,000 spoons seems like a lot. Meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. She's right. Everything about this story of Jesus is ironic. But that's not the only part she gets right. It's this other part. Life has a funny way of sneaking up on you. Life has this funny way of sneaking up on you. Like sometimes you just can't see it because of all the clutter. Your eyes just get so gooped up with just this whole capitalistic commercialism, materialism. And we just begin to look, try through these, these just clogged up eyes to look into life. What is really going on around me? And we don't see any more irony. We just see a machine and we are a part of it. And we just go in and we pull a lever and we do a thing. And we go here and we say this because this is what you do. And we run through the motions and we're all priests with no faith. And if we can take a second to just kind of wipe our eyes clear and take another look, it's kind of weird how life just kind of shows up. Think about all the irony that has happened in your life. Jobs, children, your spouse, friendships, when there was no money and then there was, how you just moved here and then you needed this thing, you met this person, all the stuff that just begins to unfold. Life has got a real funny way of sneaking up on you. It seems as if Luke is saying to us, open your eyes. If you think that this part of the story, this is only chapter one and chapter two of Luke's book. If you think this is cool, if you think this is awesome, you're going to love the rest of this. Because here's what's so cool. When you watch it, man, down. When you watch Jesus from chapter 3 to chapter 4 to chapter 5, you know what you're going to begin to notice? He looks just like his dad. He's got his eyes. Watch the way he uses his hands. He looks just like his dad. Watch the way he loves. He reminds you so much of his dad. Whose is he? Oh, you know whose he is. If you've seen him, you've seen the father. He's a spitting image. But then Luke kind of leaves, leaves it blank leaves it open as if to say, but there's only one question left, and that's this. Is he yours? Is he yours? Have you made the Savior yours? That's the only question. The beautiful thing about Christmas is that 
the politics of everything going on in the area was all about tyranny. Rome had a tyrant. Judea had a tyrant. Everywhere in between had some warring king. And then when God wanted to give you one and send a message to earth, he doesn't send you the armies of heaven. You know what he sends you? A baby. Yeah. A baby. As if to say, nothing threatening here. There's nothing threatening here. I came vulnerable. I came simple. I came like you came. I know this place like you know this place. I've seen hard things. I can relate. For we do not have a high priest who is unsympathetic to the way our life is. We do not have a high priest who does not understand what we go through. Our high priest has come and lived the same life as us. That's the beauty of the divine irony of Luke's gospel. Let's pray, then we'll go home. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for sending your son. But not only sending him, but the way you sent him. That you sideswiped us completely. Lord, and we appreciate that. But we thank you for the creative writing and the inspired writing of Luke Lord, that gives us such beautiful visuals. Lord, we thank you for this season, for this holiday, and we pray that you will bless the rest of this day and this evening. We love you. It's in your son, Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. Man, if you'd be so kind as to help us get some chairs.